Um, how many are enjoying the cool weather outside? Okay, not so much, huh? Okay. <laughs> um, I am from the South, so I do enjoy the cool summer months because, you know, where I come from, it's like sweltering hot right now. So I'm enjoying it. But even though today is like kind of like the sun's not out, I, am, I just want to encourage you that this is the day that the Lord has made, is it not? And we're going to rejoice because we have some amazing people, and I have the honor and privilege of introducing them today. I'm not speaking today because I, if you've been here for first service, um, you know that John and Helen Burns are speaking this morning, and they are phenomenal. We're going to give them the honor that is due them, but let me just tell you real quick, we always have people in here that um, are friends of ours. And in 2012, we invited Pastor John and Helen to do a marriage event for us. And if you remember, if, how many of you were here in 2012? Okay, that whole weekend, it was like a huge snowstorm, and everything was canceled. Like, every, the whole, our whole service, the whole weekend, like, literally, the state of Massachusetts was shut down. State of emergency, everything was shut down. Well, that was mine and Derek's fault, because the Lord knew that we needed the whole weekend with John and Helen Burns. And from that weekend, spurred on this amazing just relationship. They're like spiritual parents to us. We want to be them when we grow up. And back in the back, Pastor John was just saying, and we want to be y'all when we grow up. He didn't say y'all because he's not from the South, but you know what I mean. <laughs> but I just want you, I, for, for us, Pastor John and Helen being here is like family. So they're not guests of ours, they are family. So I want you to hear what they have to say this morning with family in mind. And I would love it if you would just stand up. And I want you to just give them the most abrupt praise that you can. Pastor John and Helen Burns. Love you, Thank you. Grandma. Thank you. Thank you. You may be seated. Is she the cutest grandma in the whole world? It's like, no way you could be a grandma. I remember when, when we first... <laughs> became grandparents, I, I think I was 42, because I remember saying to her, we, so I took my daughter Angela on a date, and uh, she had little Madison, so um, I took her on a date shopping, and she was trying on this dress, so we go into you know the changing room, and I'm holding little Madison, and she's in the changing room, and the lady there says, is that your daughter? And I said, no, it's my granddaughter. She said, you're not old enough to be a granddad. She said, how old are you? I said, I'm 42. She said, yeah, you look 42. <laughs> and Angela fell out in the changing room. She yeah. loves when her dad gets kind of like, you think you're all that, but maybe we just have to bring you down a notch. <laughs> oh, it's good to be here. Yeah. So this is cool summer weather. It's, it's beautiful because we've done the snow. Yeah, we we've have done, done the, the snow. snow a few times. And uh, we love it. It's, I mean, who else gets to experience the snowfall of a lifetime in Boston when it they was, shut the state down? It that was, was a, fun. It was an unforgettable weekend. Yeah. Actually, we had flown from Vancouver you know, to Toronto, so we got there. And when we landed, all the red buttons were going off. Phone this, phone this. And so we called in and in this this crazy snowstorm. So, you, you know, everything's canceled. So turn around and come home. So I called and I talked to Derek and I, and I said, listen, we're, we've committed ourselves to serve you. Do you want us to turn around and go home or what? She, he said, no, no, come. If it's just for my wife and I, and I'm, I really think it, it was a, one of those God appointments. 
And, and I remember so, we got to do the Sunday night service, which I don't think was standard back then. We did it. They called the Sunday night service, and, and we taught that night. They thought, I don't know if anybody else. I thought, who's going to show up? You know, it's Sunday night after big snowfall. Everybody came. I packed. think they were all housebound. It's like, get <laughs> us out of the house. We have got to go to church. So It was anyhow. weird being in the, uh, you know, the hotel because everything was shut down. And so in the morning, people were coming down in their pajamas. You know, it was kind of like, we're home. This is a big house. It was, it was memorable. Anyway, we are family. Whether you like it or not, we're family. And church is family. Really, it is. Welcome home. And this is home. And, it, you know, I think family, it's so good that you understand what it is. Because you don't go, you don't go home for only when I'm hungry. Or you don't go home um, because there's a special event on. You go home because that's where I'm accepted, that's where I belong, that's where I'm loved, that's where uh, I, I get my needs met, not just physical, you know, walk away feeling full physically, but I get my emotional needs met. It's so important. And home doesn't just happen because you were born there. Home happens because it was purposefully built that way. And if you are a parent, you're building your home. And there's an atmosphere, there's a culture in your home. You need to be purposely building that into your home, into your family. It doesn't happen by accident. And the same thing with church. And so one of the things that I always invite people in our church to do is make a choice to love church, to love home, to love being here. Never take it for granted. Never take it for granted that you get to be like this, worship together and, and be together and, and have a purpose in life. We just got off a cruise, <laughs> the Alaska cruise, which was, you know. Sounds like I made him suffer on an Alaska cruise. But when you turn 65, 65, that's what you buy people, an Alaskan cruise, because you're old now, right? <laughs> There's so many people, I just feel so sorry for them. Their goal in life is a cruise. <laughs> it's like, shoot me now. <laughs> but really... I'm glad you like my present. <laughs> <laughs> it's really difficult to I want to encourage be, you uh, that there weren't only older people, but a lot of people who didn't, you know, I thought there's more to do in life than to cruise. But if you want to go on a beautiful cruise, come to Vancouver, sail out of Vancouver, and you'll see God's yeah. majesty. So, so but well, there's a lot of bored people. <laughs> but what, what we want to do is, is share with you some wisdom. And wisdom is, years ago I made a, a choice, and I think it was a good choice. Uh, I recognize what kind of personality I am. I have this, this you know, potentially addictive personality. Anything I do, I do it overboard. And so I, I made a choice. I think all of us should choose your addictions. And I chose to be addicted to wisdom. Wisdom is the, it's the honey in the honeycomb. It's, it's something that's so, so important. Wisdom is the, the real strength of life. And a lot of people in the world we have today, they've, they've got knowledge available to them at their fingertips, literally. Um, and, and a lot of older people look down at the younger people, you know, this, the millennials and the whatever this next generation, the Z generation is called. Um, and, you know, we, we think they're not, you know, they're, they're, we, we look at them and, and think, what's wrong with them? 
And yet what I found is it's a great, great generation growing up. And one of the greatest things about it is they are so hungry for wisdom. They have figured out that knowledge is not really going to change the world. But what, what wisdom is, it's the ability to use knowledge. And wisdom, you can actually catch it. And when you leave church, you should leave full. Not just physically full, like you got fed a meal. But you should be full in terms of wisdom. Wisdom is, you should be full in terms of, of you want to do something and there's tools, there's, there's, there's things you know how to do. And so today, if we could take 44 years of marriage and melt it down into a few points that would help you um, and, and share with you some wisdom. Now, wisdom isn't wisdom until it's given away. But you can't give it if people aren't ready to receive it. So really, it's, it's up to both of us. We would love to share with you some wisdom. Would, would you please want to receive some? And I think God will do something great in our lives as a result. The verse that we want to build this on today is, it's, it's a foundational verse for our life and our home. And I think for all of us, we can use it. It's Proverbs 24, verse 3 and 4, in the Amplified Version. It says, through skillful and godly wisdom, a house, a life, a home, a family, a church, go ahead, whatever it is, is built. It, 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 you, you have to build it. You can't get lucky. And by understanding, it is established on a sound and good foundation. And by knowledge, its rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. And I believe we all want that. So... Uh, Open our hearts and let's receive some wisdom. We got some points we want to share Can with I you. Can I just, before we go into the first point, um, as John was talking, I just am so mindful of, as he said, there's a lot of knowledge. There's knowledge at our fingertips. There's no end of information. I mean, ask Siri anything and she'll give you an answer. And uh, so we have information. I feel like right now is a very interesting time in history. Because I think everything out there has gotten so loud. I feel like what's happening on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and the media and, and all the different news channels, opinions, 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 opinions. It's loud and it's divisive. It is, it's hurtful. It pulls people apart. It tries to um, get us to align with this or to align with that. And I think this is the opening statement here in, in Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 3. It says, through skillful and godly wisdom because there's a wisdom that isn't godly or a, a knowledge that isn't godly and I think if we don't have our foundations strong in the word of God if the word of God is not a daily companion to you not just something you open and crack open on a Sunday but something that you live and have an, an existence within you are going to be swayed all over and there's so many opinions about what family should look like it so many opinions I mean one of the biggest um, battles is just around gender today in in Canada. It's a real thing, and I think we can listen to the wisdom uh, or the opinions of men, but if it isn't founded in the Word of God, we're always going to be tossed to and fro. So how do you build a house? It has to be godly, skillful, godly wisdom. And so I want to encourage you to be sure that when it gets loud out there, turn the volume down and amp up the volume of the word of God in your heart, and it's going to lead you into truth and how to build a marriage and how to build a family. Amen. Amen. So some of the things that we've learned. Point number one, we recognize and celebrate our differences. Oh, 
I keep learning from this over the years. I thought I learned this years ago, but there's so much more always to learn. But God actually made us different, okay? He wants us to be different. And the reason is that we complement each other and we teach each other. We learn from each other. Every one of us are on a, on a journey. The journey is becoming more like Jesus. And God sees the, where we need to go. And so he brings relationships into our life. And if he brings someone into your life that's exactly the same as you, you'll learn nothing. You go nowhere. Nothing changes. So aren't you glad that there's people in our world that are not like us? And opposites attract. Marriage, typically what's attractive is what you see in that person that you don't have. And we need to continually recognize that. And, and it's not, not readily evident. You gotta continually search for it. You gotta begin to want to see what makes this person who they are what makes them tick and not not want to see it with this judgmental attitude that you're not like me you're not as good as me but want to see it with an attitude of celebration wow this is amazing about you and that has been a fuel in our marriage for years you've if you've heard me before you've probably heard these two words and i'll never stop repeating i think it's so important two words that change everything simply stay amazed stay amazed it's a choice it's a choice. You can get bored with anything. Why would you live a boring life? It's got nothing to do with your circumstances. It has everything to do with you personally. And the thing is, if you choose, you can continually be amazed. Why? Because there's amazing things to be discovered. Every human being is a package of amazing. And the amazing is in their heart. But you've got to actually get in there. And, and most of them have it pretty locked up and pretty tight clad up and you got to do some work it's called relationships to get them to, to bring the walls down to let you in to begin to see that amazing you think about it eight billion people on the planet there's eight billion treasure chests and we need to go treasure hunting that's what relationship building is all about if you're going to build a great marriage just stay on a treasure hunt all your life long have a great family stay on a treasure hunt have a great church stay on a treasure hunt Turn and tell the person beside you, you're full of treasure. You're full of treasure. She just told me you're full of something. If anybody heard me, <laughs> Not only should we be on a treasure hunt, but I think also you have to make a decision that, and I think it's a constant decision, that their differences are a blessing, not a frustration to you. Because the reality is, if you're two very different people, the gift is that you can learn from each other, but the reality is that it's gonna frustrate you at times, or a lot of time. And so you have to make a decision that they are the way they are for a reason. God didn't create people different to frustrate you, but so that we would stay um, in that journey of discovering who that person is. But I think I spent so much time in our early years of marriage constantly frustrated. And to say that I'm not frustrated anymore would be a lie. Because sometimes people just frustrate me. Whether it's a person you're married to or the person you're, um, you know, in work alongside. But the reality is I'm a frustration to a lot of people as well. You know, John and I, I'm, I'm definitely more chatty. I'm more outgoing. I'm an extrovert. He tends to be... <laughs> An introvert, it's still frustrating you. 
<laughs> and he's more of an introvert. And so I, it's easy to just look and say, that's a problem. I don't like that you're like that. And, or, you know, some people are morning people. I wake up in the morning, I'm up, let's go. But I, you know, John's also a morning person. Thank you, Jesus. He's now even gets up earlier than me because he's got to be the first person on the golf course every single day before anybody else gets out there because he's a very driven and competitive person. And, uh, and that's actually wonderful. But I travel sometimes with girlfriends and one, I think of one in particular, she's like, shut the window. And, and, and you know, it's like, I don't want to hear singing. I don't want to hear worship in the morning. I'm like, who doesn't want to hear worship in the morning? Wakey, wakey. She's like, shut up. I'm like, but we've learned how to work together. I don't try to frustrate her and she doesn't try to frustrate me. But all of that to say, Sometimes we don't choose the way we are. God designed us and wired us a certain way. And if we do not um, appreciate, because I think the word is to appreciate, to discover it and appreciate it, rather than let it frustrate you, the people that are in your world, discover how they work and then work alongside them and recognize, isn't it amazing? You're different than me. Not I'm better than you or you're, you're better than me. We're great together. And one of the things I would just encourage you to do all your life long is pay attention. Pay attention. There's so many things that, that are amazing about each other that we never notice. Why? Because we're not looking. We're, we're, we're maybe looking at them, but we're looking at what we don't like instead of looking what makes them who they are. And I love the thought of what makes that, them who they are. What makes Helen who she is? There's no one else like her. And there's so many little things. They're not the big things. They're more the little things. And the, the place I really learned this is if, you, if there's a couple that say they've been married for 60 years, wow, and one of them goes to heaven, go talk to the other one. Ask that other, the one that's left behind, what do you miss? And they won't tell you the big things. They'll tell you the littlest things that you sometimes don't even recognize about each other. But those are the things that make you who you are. And I think we need to, to recognize those things and celebrate those things. Number two is we are committed to continually try <laughs> to meet each other's needs. Not that we'll be ever, you know, ever able to do it completely, but we're going to continually try to meet each other's needs. I think one of the greatest gifts that God has given each of us is we have needs. And a great gift he's given us is the people in our life that have needs. Because we get to be part of their life. We get to meet those needs. I think that's, you know, relationships build and grow because we meet each other's needs. And the challenge is, though, that we don't know what they are. You know, we recognize serving in church. We've been taught that. We, we learn. And I think it's so important to be great, serve. Have a great marriage, serve. Have a great family, serve. What does that mean? Meet each other's needs. What are their needs? And if you think you know, well, you really are in trouble. Because the best place to, rec to, to start is I don't know. And stay in that place. Help me. I don't know. And when we are in that place, I would call that the place of wisdom. Wisdom starts at, I don't know. Help me. I want to know. Okay? So if you look at our world today, we have so many problems that are, you know, 
our social problems uh, where we've got different groups of people against different groups of people, discrimination happening in every area. And you say, well, how do you fix it? Wisdom. Wisdom starts with I don't know. So when it comes to, say, a different group of people, don't think you know. Instead, recognize you don't know. But I want to know. Okay? But you can take it past groups of people, say different races or colors or languages or whatever, and you can bring it down to the individual. Every single one. I don't know, but I want to know. And I think that's the place where we begin to build a relationship. When it comes to um, some of the big issues of the world, uh, say, you know, discrimination with uh, what color your skin is. Okay? My point of view is I know I'm ignorant. What does that mean? It means I don't know. I know I'm ignorant, but I don't want to be stupid. Because stupid is I think I know, or I don't want to know. I know I'm ignorant. I don't know what you've gone through. I don't know, you know what's going on in your world, but I don't want to be stupid. I want to know. Help me. And if we, we take that, that approach, it changes everything. Good, really good. Let, let me just tell one story. Of, you know, just having to, to figure out how to serve each other. It's not easy because you, you don't know, okay? So when we first got married, I think we've kind of shared some of this before, but we're so different. Helen grew up in this home that said, I love you, I love you, I love you. Every day she heard, I love you. I grew up in a home I never heard it. So when we got married, I told her I loved her. And then, then she started complaining, how come you don't tell me that you love me all the time? Said, What's wrong with you? <laughs> Who needs to hear every day? I mean, you know, I told you I loved you when I married you. <laughs> so we sat down and I found out she has a need. And her need is to hear it. And, and so we, we figured out, okay, how often do you need to hear this? <laughs> I'm not kidding you. How often do you need to hear this? She said, well, once a day. So I said, okay. But back in those days, we didn't have cell phones. We had those big books called daytimers. Okay, if you go back to my daytimers, every day written on the top of the page was, tell Helen I love her. She got a hold of my daytimer, and she was so disappointed. Oh, you mean you have to tell yourself? I wasn't and, disappointed. And I was shocked <laughs> that that was a necessity. However, after a few months, he actually got into the discipline and the habit. It wasn't something he's still writing in his daytimer. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but um, but I, I look at that as actually, um, to John's credit, it's a huge thing to say I this is not something I, I think about. It's something I need to remind myself to do. And I think sometimes people think it should just come natural. But it doesn't always. And so I think that is one of the things about differences. They don't have the same needs as you have. And if we think everybody is the same as us, we live a very small, limited life. But when we open up and we begin to discover and actually become an expert, if you will, because the one person you really should be an expert on their needs is your spouse. Or your children, like to actually invest the time to discover. I have three daughters that were born in three and a half years. So I could easily just assume they're all alike. They're not. 
What, what fuels Angela's soul is different than what fuels Danica's and, or Ashley's. Why would I treat them all cookie cutter? If we do that um, with our spouse or with our children and discover the wonder in each of them, we can open up our minds to not only knowing what their needs are, but being more um, aware of your own. And sometimes it means, and it was necessary for us in our marriage to actually ask for what we need. And so meeting needs, serving someone, I think, I think of the best companies in the world that are renowned for service. What they've actually done is a whole lot of work, and they spend huge amounts of money to investigate what are the needs of our, our clients where we could better serve them. So I think of we fly Air Canada a lot. And Air Canada is constantly in touch with us to know, how was your experience? Do you know a way that we could improve it? Because um, we want to keep you as a customer. You're a good customer. And so they actually listen, pay attention, and implement change if we say something. Imagine that. Think if we did that in our closest relationships. Customer service shouldn't just be for big companies. The best service should be for those that we've made a lifelong commitment to. And I don't think it's rocket science. It is actually paying attention and looking, how can I meet their needs? And I think when you live with someone, you begin to observe how they like to be treated, things that they enjoy. And I think if we actually invest that, our marriages will improve, our families will improve, our world will improve. And it's usually those little things that are going to make the biggest differences, not only in our relationships, but in our society. It's not rocket science. Yeah. Number three, we recognize our marriage is about the generations to come. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than you think it is. What you do today is bigger than you think it is. How you love each other is more important than the now, just the feelings you have. How you parent. We recognize when we were raising our children, we were actually raising our grandchildren. Why? Because the thing, well, you should talk about it, Helen, but just to recognize that you are writing a story, okay? Your life is a story that will be read, whether good or bad, will be read for generations to come, okay? What kind of story are you writing? Because what you do today will be passed on. And sometimes we think that, that we need to actually get there before it's going to make any difference. No, now it's going to make a difference for them. One of the things that I think it's a, it's a great way to think about it is, and you know, invite yourself to do this. Write a letter to yourself. Write a letter to your 80-year-old uh, self when you are a great grandparent. And why don't you write the letter from the point of view of your grandchildren, thanking you for all you have planted in their life. Now, you say, but I'm not there. But what, what would you want that letter to say? Then wh what you want that letter to say, why don't you start being that now? That, that becomes a different way to look at life. We've always, I think I've, I've always looked from the generational point of view. If you want to know how to be a great parent, just think about what would your kids want their parent to be, and then go ahead and be that. And from the generational point of view, it sometimes makes life a little easier, because often we're thinking about ourselves, and we should be. We should be thinking about our kids and our grandkids, and that, that gives us a better or an easier way to focus, what should I do today? I think if you do that, you would pick your battles way more wisely. 
I think often we get stuck in a heated moment of, of frustration and we bog down and you think, you know what, in light of eternity, John and I have used that language often, in light of eternity, does this actually matter? And not everything does. And I think that when you begin, and that's the gift in, in, in living as long as we have, and we have many great years in front of us, but I think you look back and you think the things that often derailed us or the things that often um, made us disconnect relationally were stupid. They weren't worth it. And we, you choose your battles wiser if you think future. I, you know, even think tomorrow, do I want to be carrying the anger of today to tomorrow? No, I don't want to. So why not just let it go and, and make a decision that this isn't important. That's great. Number four, we've decided to never give up and never accept good enough. There's always more. We need to always be dreaming bigger. We need to be, be expecting more, living more, never just per giving up and giving in with where, what we have right now. Right. I think that that is um, probably in every arena of life, we need to learn how to push through. And it's even what I just shared about choosing your battles wisely. There are some battles you absolutely have to fight. You just do. To go to where you want to go, you're going to have to fight some battles and to push through. And I think of, again, you know, John and I are in a transition year this year. Our daughter, after 32 years of pastoring Relate Church, and um, we have just handed the baton, if you will, onto our daughter who's going to take it forward. She and her husband are great leaders in church. They have done a tremendous job, but she's, she's taking the helm, and we're not leaving. We're, we're going to be there. We're going to be around, but it's going to be a bit of a shift, and I think a lot of people think, well, what are you going to do now? Um, you know, it's almost like, is this it? You're going to buy a motorhome and just go and travel around um, Canada, and, you know, no, that's not going to happen. And if you love doing that, all the power to you, seriously. That would be my mom's dream, but that's not my dream. But all of that we're to say... We're going on cruises. Cruise control. <laughs> We're going to do the opposite of that. But what we, we have re discovered that there's more life in front of us than we've lived before. We feel like there is just such great days ahead. I believe that our greatest um, victories are still in front of us. I believe there's mountains left to climb. There's stuff left to do. Not a literal mountain, but, a, you know, there's stuff we need to reach out. And so even when it comes to our marriage... It would be so easy for us to think, you know, we really like each other. We're, we're in love. But, but a lot of people, when they think of marriage, they think of, of endurance rather than strength and, and powerful and, and not just making it. We want to change the world, and we're not done doing that. And so how do you do that? You do that by never settling. I think often what settling can look like is, I'm not happy, but meh, I've tried to change it before, so what's the point of even trying? And we give in, and we throw away um, our drive and our passion to have the best, and we just have to decide. We're not giving in. We're not, there aren't other options. We're going to stay married, but not just stay married. Yeah. We're going to stay in married, loving each yeah. other passionately, changing the world together, do everything we know to do with every moment we have. And I think that whether you've been married for 44 years like us, or if this is your first year of marriage, or you're dreaming of marriage one day, I think the goal is that it goes from strength to strength and from glory to glory, because that is actually Bible. It says the path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter with every new day. Amen. So what? are we just settling for? Let's go for the gold and experience all that God has for us. So don't settle. 
decide there's more. I feel like there may be some in here today that just say, well, I think we've kind of arrived. This is it. No, this is not it. There's so much more for you. So go for it. You know, when you made a commitment in marriage, it was to love each other more and more and more and more till death do you part. Not just love each other the way you started and just hold on to that and just maintain that love. No, love needs to continually grow, so never settle. Number... Whatever, it's being good at forgiving. There we are. Bing! <laughs> Number five, so good. We've made a decision to get good, to be really good at forgiving. Yeah, I okay. get lots of practice. Really good at forgiving. I give her lots of practice. Lots and lots. Every day I said, honey, another opportunity for you to get good at forgiving. But recognize forgiving is, it's like a muscle. It really is. And you've got to get a strong muscle. And, and, and I think great marriages are made up of great forgivers. And the way to forgive, the way you want to get to forgive, it's not easy, but you want to forgive instantly right away let go you don't you don't want anything to stick and it's a choice that we make see forgiveness a lot of people think forgiving is all about what happened it's not it's about your future it's not about your past if you don't forgive you don't have a future you're stuck but if you have a a future and you believe god has a future for you you can't you can't afford to get stuck in the past in other words you can't afford to get hurt there's going to be things that come that are going to hurt but whether you keep them and, and let them keep destroying you is up to you. Forgiveness is simply a choice. Let go and keep dreaming. Let go and keep moving on. And when you do that, you, you give yourself the greatest gift. And I think a great marriage is always going to be great forgivers. Number six, we've worked hard to build and guard trust. Trust, we've recognized, is so, so important, so important. It's a foundation that we build on. Trust takes so long to grow. It's, it's like if, if you're going to build a, a, you know, a building, you start with building the foundation. I don't know if you ever noticed these, these big buildings that go up, the, you know, the skyscrapers. They spend almost, I think, as much or more time going down than they do going up. And that's what trust is. Trust is what, what's going down and it's building this foundation. And, and in our relationships, it takes time to, to build trust. And you can't just give it away. You can't just trust somebody. I just want to trust them. Why? Because I want to have a great future. Trust is not about the future. It's about the past. It's a track record. Trust must be earned. And we all need to earn trust. It starts with ourselves. It's called confidence. And whatever you say, you do it. And if you've broken trust with yourself, that means you don't really believe in yourself. Start from day one. Start right now and start making choices and then following through. And as you do that, you build that self-confidence. In a relationship, it's the same way. You, you build that and you grow that trust. And if it's broken, the good news is it can be healed. Yeah. The bad news is it's going to take time. Doesn't you, you can't rebuild. You can't microwave it. It takes time to build trust. And once it's built or once it's rebuilt, healed, it's actually stronger than before you broke it. So the good news, if you're here and you've messed up and you've broken trust, you can rebuild that trust. And it will be stronger. Why will it be stronger? Well, now you've got a testimony. 
Now you can actually speak to situations that um, before you had no understanding of because you'd never been there, but now you've been there, and now you know. And the world can be better off as a result of it. Good. I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> nothing. That's a first. <laughs> You've all witnessed a miracle. Hallelujah. I've never seen that. 44 years of marriage and she has nothing to add. <laughs> She's not telling the truth. But that's all right. <laughs> Go ahead. This is your favorite point, though. Go ahead. Okay. We dream big dreams um, and the marriage I see. So this came out of a challenge. I think maybe it was even prompted before we came to speak here at one of your marriage conferences about how every year John would sit and and put together thoughts about the church I see. And every year we would roll out vision for the church. And he would put a lot of prayer, a lot of effort, and a lot of time into prepping this message. And we would all wait to hear what God told you. We would come off a 21-day fast. And what did God tell you while you were in that place of just hearing God? And while you were preparing it, God challenged you um, and said, you know, you're so, you have such vision for the church. You have such vision for the future of, of Relate. But what about writing out the marriage I see or the family I see? And so you challenged us to do that. And I think it's, I think for all of us, it, the challenge is that, that you need to be dreaming. Jesus said, I came to give you life and that more abundantly. What do you mean? More abundantly is more than you can handle. In other words, it's got to be overflowing. It's got to be to, a, to a, 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 a degree that you can't keep it in. Well, what is that life? It's the future. It's, it's the future. And that's the dreams on the inside of you. So dream big dreams. And so often we've had people come and they, can you help us? What, why, what's wrong? Well, we lost that love and feeling. Our marriage is over. We, we, we just, it's dull. There's, there's nothing there anymore. And really what they lost is a dream. Even people growing up, kids are full of dreams. They're full of life. And so often we get disappointed and we end up stopping to dream because that's what allowed us to be disappointed. We had an expectation, so let's get rid of the expectation. No more dreams. And if you want to fall back in love again, if that's such a thing, what do you need to do is dream again. And, and what I really would encourage is, is write it out. Habakkuk 2.2 says, write the dream so that you can actually read it and run with it. Write your vision, and not just once, but on a regular basis. Write. write, write your heart, write your dreams. Don't ever stop dreaming. Dream bigger dreams for your spouse than they've ever, ever, ever imagined. Do you know one of the greatest um, blessings of marriage is you've got someone else that believes in you more than you, and they actually see more than you see for you, for your kids. Write dreams for your kids. You could fuel their future. You see for them more than they'll ever see for themselves. And, and when you start writing dreams, it's kind of like a muscle too. You begin to work that muscle. You get good at it. And it's so, it's life. Yeah. You know, when I'm 120, taking my, my, my last breath, um, and, and someone asks me, so what, what's, what really have you done in your life that you would you know be able to say that that's an accomplishment and and i would like to say well it's a lot a lot of fruit on other trees 
I want to be able to speak that into other lives. Speak those dreams. And an exercise is to write it out and never stop dreaming. Can I invite you just to bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to pray a simple prayer as we close. But first of all, take a moment, a private moment, just you and God, and listen. What's he saying to you? Okay, your heart's stirred. Listen, what's he saying? I know he's speaking to every single one of us. What's your takeaway? What do you walk away and say, thank you? God, I'm going I'm I'm to change. I'm gonna, I'm, my life's stronger now. Wow, that's what church is all about. And then I'd love to pray a simple prayer. If you're here right now and, and your relationship with God is not what it should be, not what it could be, you know it, God knows it. Don't leave like that. It always takes a choice. God's done everything he's going to do. But it's your choice. Will you allow him to be what he needs to be in your life, Lord of all? Every person has a, a throne in the middle of their heart. Who sits on that throne? If it's not Jesus, you're lost. If it's not Jesus, you don't have the hope of eternity. That throne belongs to Jesus. But it's your choice who sits on it. If you're here and you've never asked Jesus to come into my heart, to be my Lord, you don't know him personally. Maybe you've been to church before. Maybe you grew up at church. Maybe you know all the stories, but you don't know him. That's what Christianity is. It's not a knowledge. It's an experience. It's knowing him. And I want to pray a simple prayer. I want to pray for you right where you sit. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. But you and only you can make the choice. So if you're sitting here right now, Jesus is not on that throne, Lord of your life. You know it. God knows it. Could I pray a simple prayer for you right now? Would you say yes to God? All over the room with your heads bowed, no one looking around. If that's you, include me in that prayer. Wherever you're sitting, slip your hand up. Could I include you in that prayer? All across the room, thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes. Who else? Who else? Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Who else? Who else? It's the greatest decision you'll ever, ever make. I want to know you, Jesus. Be my Lord. Take over my life. Is there anyone else? All right. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. All right. You can put your hands down. I'm going to invite everyone in the room to pray this simple prayer. Let's pray together. I'll just lead you. Let's talk to God together. Everyone say this, Lord Jesus. I believe in you. You are the Son of God. You died on a cross because you love me to take my place, to pay for my sins, so that today I could have a relationship with you forever. So I invite you. Come into my heart. Take your rightful place. Be the Lord of my life. 
from this day on. Amen, amen, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap, church. God bless you.